I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. September 7th, day 18. Our next stop was in the big city where we caught a glimpse of the many specialty artisans that make San Francisco such an interesting and creative place. Also, if you're lucky, or unlucky, depending on how you look at it, you might even witness a naked dude walking his miniature dog down the street. That's the voice of Dan Malloy, narrating in his latest project, Slow is Fast. It's actually a book and DVD combination pack in which he's partnered with photographer Kanoa Zimmerman and filmmaker Kellen Keane. It's available through Patagonia Books. The next few minutes of audio was recorded at a screening of Slow is Fast at the Hobie Surf Shop in Dana Point, California. All right, yeah, thanks again, you guys, for coming out. Um, I'm just going to do a quick little introduction of this project. Um, it was about two years ago now um, that I was I was doing a road trip with a friend of mine, Kellen, who's here. He has the guy with possibly the biggest beard in the house, but maybe not. There's someone else too. But um, we were doing a road trip up to Oregon, and um, I was telling Kellen about an idea that I had of riding our bikes down the coast. And um, you know, I after I got out of high school, I surfed um, professionally or on the tour and all that stuff for a good 10 years and had a blast doing it. But when I was about 28, I started to really um, want to learn more about the place that I was from. And, you know, traveling is amazing. It's really kind of addicting because you get to leave all of those things that kind of pile up and all, you know, work and family and all these things that make it a little bit harder to be present at home. And so I got really addicted to this, this, this idea of traveling and the feeling of it, but I wanted to feel that same thing at home because there's so much um, history and there's so much, you know, there's so much for us to learn and, and understand at home. You know. But um, anyway, I just really wanted to start to appreciate my coastline and instead of always, you know, dreaming of leaving, um, start to understand where we were from a little bit more. So that's where the concept for this trip came from was to get on the road, but be at home and really try to see all the people along our coastline and the places the same way that you do when you're on a trip in Europe or, you know, in Asia or whatever it is. So um, so I told Helen about the idea and he, he, he held me to it. And so we hit the road. Um, it was about a two-month trip down the coast. 
and um, there was three of us. We had one surfboard, a couple pairs of swim fins, um, and a couple cameras, and we stayed with people. Um, big inspiration for the trip was uh, just agriculture in general, mostly small, medium scale agriculture. has been really inspiring for, for me in the last 10 years or so. Um, I think, uh, you know, we're all a lot more connected to farming than we think, you know. If you eat, <laughs> you're, you're really, you know, closely connected to somebody that's growing your food every day, and that that has really started to sink in with me, and I've wanted to get to know the, the people who are farming um, and, and, you know, raising the animals that we eat and the, and the, the vegetables that we eat, and it's really enriched my life a lot to get to know those people. So a big inspiration for this trip was to go meet those people, uh, meet people that are doing cutting-edge organic farming um, along the coast. Um, so it was kind of a combination of surfing and riding our bikes and meeting these people and working with them a lot too. I want to thank uh, Steve Barlotti's here tonight. He came in when we were trying to make our first book ever and just totally saved our butt because we didn't know what we were doing. And he spent the last week and a half with us working his working his butt off, really helped us out. He's here tonight, so I want to thank him very much. And um, everyone else who helped out with the, the project. And I think that's about it. Thanks, you guys. I, I hope you enjoy the film. Welcome to Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Dan Malloy and Kellen Keane. We talked to Dan about where he's been, where he's going, and this latest project, Slow Is Fast, which is available through a link on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Thank you for joining us. We're glad that you found us. And we hope that you enjoy today's show. Really kind of simple. We were, we grew up in Ojai, California, so not that far away from the industry yeah but at the same time we were in this little bubble and we weren't a part of the whole scene at all we grew up really detached from it and so we we um my dad taught us how to surf when we were kids but we just we wouldn't have run-ins with any professional surfers or any industry stuff you know and um so from really from a really young age we were completely smitten with the whole industry and the oh, whole really? deal a hundred percent we would watch every single video that came out and we're just head over heels to be involved in any way that we could we just wanted we wanted to be pro surfers so bad it was a joke you know like that was we were dying to do it were there pro surfers in that area at the time i can't not think many, of any not many okay you know there were there were a handful of guys um there's a guy named barry wilson there were some um, older guys that were were part of the competitive scene, but this is actually even before that. This is when okay. we would be surf Emma Wood every day. We just had no outside real influences or contact bes- besides the videos and seeing the magazines. 
Um, but we were just in a bubble. We weren't we weren't surfing in competitions at the time. We were just we were just surfing and having a good time. And so when we started to get to compete a little bit, and we started to get sponsorships and all that, it was just so much fun for us. Hmm. We were just having a total blast. And and um, so we went in head first, and you know never really like from that point on we were like okay it's on and i think basically what happened is we were we it was this like good 15 year exploration into the surf industry of like what that is Mm -hmm. and and the first five years is just pure fun and games going oh my god i just got a new sponsor and they they'll pay for my boat trips you know and like you know it first just started out as a way to travel and surf and have a good time and um that was just so much fun and then you get into the next level where you're starting to compete on a higher level and you're kind of used to the sponsorships and you're used to getting to go on the trips you want to go on and and then um not to interrupt but um were your parents supportive of that i mean even living in orange county if i tried to explain to my parents when i was in high school that people were going to pay me to travel they would be a little bit surprised by that maybe reluctant to let me leave the country i would think you know for sure, for sure. My parents were really supportive, but to a certain extent, you know, okay. it was like we we were all expected to move out of the house when we were when we got out of high school. Okay. No second thoughts. If we didn't go to school, there was no thought of any secondary support of any kind, like any help of any kind. If we got didn't it. go to school, you're just on your own and we chose not to. So they were very supportive and they were never negative toward it. And at the same time, they weren't like, you know, it was like, you're on your own if you're doing this. Right. And we're really excited about it. But, you know, um, but they were great. Super supportive. Cool. And um, and so we just gave it, a, you know, a crack. It was super all encompassing. We were stoked. That's all I've ever wanted to do from the time I was like 13 was be a, you know, pro surfer. Yeah. You know, and so but at the same time, I think what happened was is that we were so smitten by it all that we kind of weren't um, paying too close of attention. We were just, we were just doing it. And I think over a certain amount of time, we kind of realized, um, that the, the surf industry wasn't really necessarily like the entire reason that we wanted to be involved. And it wasn't so much, um, you know, we had a lot of my youth I spent, you know, in, in my mid 20s, through to my mid-20s I spent in Southern California and I really really feel a lot more connected to you know Ventura, Ojai, Santa Barbara and North in California. Sure. So um, I think a big part of the shift was just um, was just kind of coming back home a little bit and Mm. and getting back to (laughs) surfing for those for some of the more simple reasons you know I I I I, uh, kind of threw a lot of layers on top of surfing there for a while and I still continue to you know having it be a big part of your job and and all this stuff and I think that you know my next kind of mission is to slowly tear back all the all the different kind of shit that I've put on top of surfing you know because it can be such a simple pure experience but, yeah. but when it becomes your job it can also be a lot a lot more than that so what were some of those layers the Orange County lifestyle oh, that you didn't yeah. like you know yeah I mean that that was for sure part of it and um but just competing a ton yeah yeah i was pretty competitive and i enjoyed it sometimes but it didn't do i think competition for certain people really brings out the best in them like Mm. 
or best, it depends on how you look at it, but they, they become a better surfer or, you know, baseball player or whatever it is because of competition. And I watched that around me and it was really easy. It wasn't when I quit competing, it wasn't so much that I was anti-competition. I mean, that's the way I, I kind of framed it and the sure. industry kind of framed it and all that stuff. But now that I've grown up a little bit, it was more that it wasn't bringing out the best in me for Got sure. It. Like it wasn't making me a better surfer. I actually really felt like I plateaued hmm. and wasn't surfing better and was super stagnant. And then I was watching guys like Kelly and Andy, especially Andy, because he was my age. Um, he was maybe four months younger than me. And I got to watch, we grew up surfing competition together, you know, and I got to watch competition bring out like basically create one of the best surfers that ever lived. Right. Like when Andy was younger, he was a really good surfer. Don't right. get me wrong. But did I ever think he was going to be four-time world champ? Three-time? Three-time. Three-time. Three-time world champ. That wasn't what I was thinking when he was a grommet. Right. And I think through his through his competitive drive with, with Bruce and just his competitive drive in, in general, he became one of the greatest surfers of all time. Right. And, and I watched that happen. It really informed me on how competition affected me. I'm like, wow, it doesn't do that for me. When I need, uh, you know, an eight, five or a mm -hmm. nine with 30 seconds left to go, I don't get a wave and surf the best I've ever surfed in my life. Right. And that's what I would see around me. So it was just really um, experience and, and yeah, time yeah. and time doing it that kind of made me realize that that wasn't the, the exact road for me. Um, it seems though, like your background obviously formed you and where you were at that stage in your life, just like Andy's probably formed him. And it seems like coming from your farming kind of agricultural background that you had more diverse set of things in your life that you found fulfillment in. And there's kind of a more, more of a work ethic involved, I think with growing up in where you grew up that I think I see similarities to with other people who have come out of that area mm -hmm. since then, mm -hmm. whether it's like Dane or Bobby or um, Morgan Moss and photographers yeah. and Chris, you know, like yeah. there's just kind of a more diverse interests that yeah. those people share because I feel like they, they had to work for it a little bit or they just had a, an upbringing that I don't know, relied on work ethic. Orange County, on the other hand, the surfers, young surfers coming out of Orange County, it's, a hundred percent surfing a hundred percent of the time, which I think is dangerous, you know, and it's a recipe for burnout oftentimes. And I don't know if you're getting all of your value and worth out of one thing that can be, I don't know. There's yeah. pitfalls to that. Yeah. There's a lot there to what you just said. It's, I think when you hit Malibu from Malibu South, <laughs> it's a really different mentality. It's, yeah. I mean, it, it is 100% different and there's a lot of things that change when you get to Ventura and one of them, one of the major things is is that being a pro surfer is almost frowned upon, right. pretty much frowned upon. And having, you know, having all the coolest new gear with all the stickers on your board is by some of the best surfers in town is considered like you have to earn your respect even more if you're going to do that. Right. So there's this real in and, and, and it's kind of a double edged sword, you know, um, in, a, in one way, I appreciate it more than anything in the world because you just go, OK, you know, I was lucky enough and had enough support when I was a kid and all the things fell into play to where I, I get this shot at being a pro surfer. 
And on the other hand, you're going like, okay, like I know, I know very clearly that some of the coolest, best surfers that I know don't think that's, you know, the that, be all. that's yeah, the yeah. be all end all of what right. we're doing here. There's a lot more to surfing. And I mean, if you look, it's like, look at Dane, look at Bobby, look at Tom Curran. They're every one of those, like every, you know, it seems like almost all the surfers that come out of Ventura have this gnarly chip on their shoulder of some kind and it's they they you know um express it in some way Mm -hmm. they have all done it in different ways but there's something that has kind of kept them from being like i mean if you're a if you're a very successful pro surfer in san diego you're like a god right you know yeah and up there it's kind of it's just not the way it is right it's just not the it's way good it is. though it's grounding yeah you know, because yeah. it isn't the most important you're not changing the world yeah you exactly know? You're, you're not even close to changing anything yeah and so um so i've always really appreciated that and i know my mom and dad were like i said they were supportive but they didn't think it was the biggest deal in the world right. and and that was a big a big influence on me and so i just think we had um some kind of appreciation that this is an unbelievable opportunity to go get to do some of the things we've always dreamt of doing but by no means is it is it you know yeah is it the most important thing you can be doing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? um talking about some of the diversity in your background i remember reading and i haven't been able to verify this on the internet but i remember reading a long time ago something about you almost being a professional snake boarder. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I was like, where, what are you going to say right now? Yeah. Um, no, I wasn't even close. But was that a thing though? No, I mean, no, I, do you know, do you remember those things? I, yeah. For a moment, <laughs> I remember they came and then, yeah. Do you know that those things, they're these funny skateboard things that, that like you, you, they're it's re- hinged in the middle, right? Yeah, it's hinged in the middle. Are your feet strapped to it? No. Okay. My, no, I, I just, I was just, I could pick stuff like that up pretty quick. Okay. And I, you know, there, I, when I was, when I got into high school, we lived in a normal little neighborhood and, you know, had a nice smooth road and yeah. I was just picked it up really fast compared to all my other friends. There was no thought or chance. I wasn't even... Okay. You know, there were there were people that were way 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 better. I don't know. Were there professionals even? I don't think so. Okay. I someone I don't know. Someone must have just wrote that somewhere, but I don't. Not was, even close. I mean, at the time I read it, there was only magazines. There was no internet, so yeah. it had to be in a magazine, and it might have just been a joke or an it, exaggeration. It must have been. It must have been. They That's knew classic. you were good at that, so they just referenced it. Yeah. Um, it, it was a trend like shorter than the razor or the Heelys <laughs> or anything and just like about as dorky as the razor too, possibly, or maybe even worse. So <laughs> uh, what about modeling? You were doing modeling outside the surf industry. Right? Yeah. That's like the dark ages of Is it? <laughs> for me. Yeah. Talk about, talk about the really embarrassing stuff. So when I was like 20 or something like that or 18 or whatever, Kelly was doing this, this, uh, interview. And he was like, hey, um, I'm doing this interview. They want to take a shot with some friends. And I went down there, and the guy was like this super big-time fashion dude. Okay. Photographer? Yeah. Okay. And so once a year for like three years after that, I would get a call. And I didn't have to like audition or anything like that. And they'd just be like, hey, if you show up there, we'll pay you three or four grand a day for five days. And and, I, and you can hang out with hot chicks. And yeah. <laughs> I, and I was a kid and I was kind of like, whoa, this is awesome. But I will say um, that was, for me, it was kind of, I wasn't that 
much fun for me. It was kind hmm. of unsettling and strange. And I mean, it, it makes sense, really. Like you're getting paid all this money and doing all this stuff off of something you have, don't have anything to do with. And sure. The decisions are being made. Like it's just it's just kind of unsettling and ungrounding. And there were some fun moments here and there, but like I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I, I really that whole deal. I try not to yeah. <laughs> think about or pursue very much. Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> like I could see that this doesn't relate to my life in any other way. And if it stops tomorrow, I'm fine. I'd, I would never um, miss it, mm-hmm. but I have trouble sympathizing with the part of it being unsettling. Like, cause it's a good paycheck. I'm here to collect oh, totally. and I'll check out tomorrow and yeah. I'm fine with that. No, but what part of no, it? No, no sympathy needed. Just for me, it was just a little bit of a strange experience. It's like, well, cause you get that paycheck and then you're like, cool, maybe I can start expecting that. And then you're yeah. like, whoa, I don't want to start expecting this. This is really strange. This whole yeah. thing is just freaking weird, you right. know? So you just have to be like, okay, take those for what they are. I'm not like, I really don't want to start pursuing that. That's right. the last thing in the world. I'm like, you know what? I still I still can, you know, like my trips are still getting paid for. Like I can, I'm still doing fine as a surfer. Like I'm going to just stick to that. Sure. You know? And, sure. Um, and I, I want to be, you know, in, in on boat trips with friends and you know spending time in Hawaii and doing all that stuff and when if the it's it's a really hard thing to turn down yeah but but at the same time it's not something I'm very interested in sure I think I have a couple scars now that prohibit me from yeah. doing that which is great <laughs> which is like the perfect the perfect uh, right you know anecdote. Um, well that's a good segue into kind of slow is fast and kind of being more thoughtful with your life choices I suppose um Tell me about the project and the impetus behind the trip. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it came after almost 15 years of being on the road surfing. And um, I definitely have been drawn. It was when I was about 29 years old or about then. It was like a switch went off that I all of a sudden would, would be on trips and be really thinking about home a lot. Hmm. I never had that. I'd never been homesick in my life. And so... Um, I, I just started to think and kind of understand that, um, traveling is, is an amazing feeling and it's an amazing thing to do. And it's, it's, you know, not everybody gets the opportunity to do it, but it's also, there's so much at home to see and experience and do. And you just not often, you're you're just, you know, it's not often that you're in that frame of mind where you can really take it all in and enjoy it like you do when you're on the road. Sure. And I kind of have been really interested in that whole concept for a good while now um, about, okay, how do you get into that kind of beginner's mind thing where you're, where you're, where when you have a moment that's not dealing with logistics and, you know, work and family and all these things that can be a little bit, um, uh, I don't want to say distracting because they are your life, but like when, when you're in the midst of that, how can you appreciate where you are? Because it's even more applicable to your it's even rich more of a rich experience if you can get there if live you in can, the moment yeah if you of. can actually yeah um so the idea of doing like figuring out how to s- change a couple details um and and be you know relatively in home at home sure. but change a few details to where you really feel like you're on the road like really actually feel like you're on a gnarly you know um, adventure. Yeah. Um, and that's hard to do if you're like, well, we'll just jump in the car. Mm -hmm. And so Kellen and I, um, were 
on a road trip um, up to Oregon. And we were talking about this idea of doing a long bike ride down the coast and really like taking some time to do it and all that. And he was like, hey, you got to do it. Let's do it. And so he kind of like was ignited the fire and was like, hey, let's set a date. Like, this is when I can do it. When can you do it? Come Mm -hmm. on, come on, come on. So all of a sudden we started planning this trip. I think when we started out, it was going to be a little over a month. And it ended up being about two months in the end. And I know not that many people can take that much time off. Sure. Um, But I also know that you could get a really great experience in three days or a week in within this format. Like it's really fun way to travel. Yeah. It was definitely one of the one of the best trips I've ever been on. Really? Yeah. It was amazing. Wow. Let's get Kellen's voice in here real quick. Kellen, what was the objective for the trip? Basically, what was the goal? Did you have it outlined, a start point and a stop point? And what was the goal to do along the way? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there was much of a goal, you know. Um, the goal was to, you know, me and Dan and Kanoa. Kanoa's the third third partner. Project a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Speak right into there. Um, it was just to kind of head down the coast and try and have some fun and learn what we could uh, from some people that really inspired us and, we're doing stuff that we're interested in learning more about and and if there was a goal it was just to you know slow down and check in with those people and you know surf and camp our way down the coast and and have a good time where was the starting point we started up in mendocino county uh-huh. yeah okay. we, we ended in ventura county okay so we zigzagged though you know we were inland and coastal and so we kind of snaked our way down the coast. Is it 500 miles? Is that what it turned out? Being? I think it was 700. Yeah, 700 miles. Like that. Okay. I think so. Which isn't much. It's not On a, a bicycle. It wasn't a big, wasn't a big bike ride. I mean, but you, it can, was, you could do took, that ride, though. In, yeah, well, in, we were with people that were doing the sim, you know, similar. We, <laughs> we'd go, we'd see people in there telling us about coming down from Canada, going to Baja. And, Got you know, it. We're, doing <laughs> this little, we're doing this little sliver. So on a bike, on, a, on a, the grand scheme of things, biking-wise, it was, it was a fun fun little uh, yeah part of the coast but for us it was <laughs> i'm not a yeah. biker well, there, <laughs> i was the weakest link yeah there was people doing what the the, the same distance that in we like did in doing it in a week yeah wow we did it yeah. in two months <laughs> but they that's were crazy powering, you know so you talk about um meeting with people along the way and learning from them did you have those people picked out prior to leaving or was it just people that you met on the road it was a little of both right yeah we, yeah 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 each picked a few people that in our, you know, we started, it was kind of cool. We started up, Kanoa lives in San Francisco. And uh, so we kind of started in the northern part. And then I live in the central coast in San Luis Obispo. So I was kind of the central. And then Dan lives in Ventura, that area, Lompoc. And mm-hmm. uh, so I was kind of the southern. So we kind of each picked a few people that we were really inspired by to, to learn from and, and went and spent time with them. Who, yeah. give me an insight, like one, who are one or two of the people and what are their... What are they involved in, and what did you link up with them and do? One of the one of the first families that we stayed with was uh, the Merch family. It's Mickey is the husband, Bronwyn the wife, um, and their kids uh, live up in Bolinas, and they run just this really beautiful little organic farm. Um, Mickey went to school to be be he went to. Um, I don't know if it was art school, but (laughs) yeah, it's just a really smart family. They're third generation on that farm and basically um, have the, have the, 
knowledge and the wherewithal to kind of do whatever he wants, you know, okay. and he, and he chooses very specifically to yeah. farm and he's one of the hardest working people I've ever seen. And, um, and so we stayed with them for, I think five days yeah. and worked with them a lot. It was like loosely based off of that, that, um, what people they call woofing that, that organization, um, worldwide organization of organic farms right. where you can go. And if you're, if you don't have dough, you can go and, and stay and work there trade, and you stay yeah. for, you trade for your work. Oh, okay. So we didn't do that, but it was kind of loosely based off of that idea. Sure. So we would go and work hard with these people and learn what we could and then and then we would um, document what they were doing okay. a little bit but at the end but it was it was much less like we we documented a lot less on this trip than almost any trip I've ever been on um, it was kind of an experiment in my opinion to not just let the the documenting side like trample all over the actual experience like mm. that's so much of the industry is built off of imagery now that you know the entire reason why you're going on the trip in the first place is to get a few photos right so and it's pinpointed with a swell like on a specific window and yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and so this trip was definitely like i was i was like well can we can we it was an independent project at first you know Mm -hmm. patagonia books picked it up um after we after it did okay but they were really unsure about it at first (laughs) but uh but anyway um it was like I mean, my favorite photos are all those amazing photos from the 50s and 60s of climbing and surfing where the photographs were just an artifact yeah. of what happened. You totally. know, someone wasn't there documenting every, every last thing. There was like right. a few shots from what was happening. And um, I was just curious to see if you could still get decent, um, if you could still tell a decent story mm-hmm. without without basically trampling all over the situation in the first place yeah and and i mean i think we 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 filmed and we shot photos but a lot less than we usually do we just let some stuff go and and um it was really it it worked out okay I i was proud of how it came out i totally struggle with that myself like if you're looking through a viewfinder you're really missing the experience you know and you're um you're not just enjoying the trip or whatever it hap- whatever it is. The concern would be you're going to miss experiences on, yeah. you're going to miss capturing experiences because you wanted to just enjoy it. Um, did you feel like the end product suffered at all from not I, capturing everything? I think it kind of like richened did the it? imagery that we got because you're there, you know, with each person or which, with each spot for a limited time. And, you know, if you put those f- first few days in just a sinking in and like, you know, you know, checking in with the land and checking in with the people and, you know, getting to know the whole scene. It kind of, kind of left us with the last few days before we leave or the last day when we did want to, you know, pull off the cameras with some really, you know, more, uh, you know, more interesting imagery. You're more steeped in the experience already. Everyone's, everyone's loosened up and right. I'll tell you what too. It's like, they if you work your butt off for a couple days with somebody they're a lot more open to talking right and and it's not like we worked so they would open up no of course but like they could tell we were genuinely interested in what they were doing because i know for sure we were (laughs) yeah yeah, we were very interested that's why we did it Yeah. yeah and and they're not just like what are these guys doing like what why are they here with all these cameras and all this shit they're like oh okay like this is yeah 
um, I kind of know what's yeah. going on here, yeah. and, and we've already had some good talks yeah. over beers without all this yeah. stuff. Right. And and it really, like, for me, you can only tell so much of the story. But the thing is, is that you had to commit the time because normally you're like, oh, all we need is two days to get what we need. Sure. And you're not. So it was after five days, you know. And right. you, you when you're there for five days, you can set back. The other thing is, is that we, this was an independent project, and our major expense was food. Mm. We, no we, weren't, we, weren't, right. we weren't spending a ton of money, so we could risk, we could make those risks. Right. So there was this really interesting balance that I hadn't experienced in a long time where you're like, you know, we're risking, we're making this project and it's taking two months. It's a lot of time and effort and emotion and all that stuff, but we're not risking this big budget from a company. Yeah. We're not risking this, that, or the other thing. So it allowed us to just like, be like, well, look, nobody's expecting anything from this project. Right. So let's, you know, and like we said, we didn't have a treatment written up. We didn't, right. we were like, let's go see if the um, end result can come after. Like, sure. see what happens and then make something out of it. So nice, nice to be able to have the luxury to actually take that time and do that. It sure was. Um, why do you think the mainstream media doesn't cover stories like this? I mean, did you have any interest from any of the magazines? about what you were doing or once the book is out i would think that i've actually had more coverage from the mainstream media on this project than almost anything i've ever done really yeah so the surf magazines did little things on it which i was really appreciative about uh, uh for you know they they took a second to check it out um and then once the book got into circulation and i think the la times online thing did a really nice review like a really great view i was just waiting for hmm. them to tear it apart because we i've never even you know it's the first little book we've ever published and yeah. it was independent you know like it wasn't and i was just waiting for this review to just tear us apart and they were that was a really complimentary review and since then as far as like outside of surf industry there's been more mainstream media attention than than anything i've ever done what about uh the surf media specifically you know, surfer, surfing, have they reviewed the book or do they have any interest Surf, in what's going on? Surfer did a short article they on did. it. They did. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, and it was it was cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um yeah. and I'm trying to think. They've all been pretty open to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, not like didn't make a, you know, it was a You know what? To be honest, I don't blame the 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 surf media for not doing more with it at all because we we didn't surf that much. Oh, okay. <laughs> we did surf, you know. Sorry. I mean, the, the trip was about partially about surfing right but but you know we were on bikes like there was days when it was way better up there and we couldn't get there and yeah and we had very minimal gear to capture so we have like a, a tiny little nugget of few images that kind of carried us through surfing wise we surfed dan, we surfed quite a bit but dan's one board was on on the, the back of his bob trailer you know that was, yeah that was our gear yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah we all had wetsuits well tell me a little bit about that like tell me about bicycle therapy you mm -hmm. know and does that enrich the experience by itself <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> um yeah the bike was the bike was fun for me before this trip i had never biked more than 10 miles oh you know, really in my life yeah so i came off the couch dove into the deep end dude one. and i was for sure the weakest link and uh and yeah it was fun i i got into it i really had a blast on the bike you know yeah. it, it uh it definitely you know makes the water that much sweeter when you right. get in there and and you know clean off the dust and all that kind of stuff and yeah it just made the the time 
at the beach rather than what the waves were doing that yeah. much more important and and fun to be around you know just to be there after a you know day working riding your for bike it. Yeah. yeah working for it just just to be in the ocean and play around on whatever's available is yeah pretty fun who got sick i got sick that was you (laughs) (laughs) what happened um some some bad uh some bad food in the valley okay yeah some bad food in the valley it was funny because we ate really great food the whole time like the freshest food you could eat and the one kind of gnarly biker hanging with dan's cowboy yeah gnarly place that was just like you could tell it was kind of gross but we were like whatever we're hungry and Kellen just got deathly ill. Like food poisoning or? Yeah, yeah really bad. bad. It was really one of bad. the worst ones I've ever got. For I, Yeah, it was bad. It was, uh, we, we were sick for almost a week. We were, yeah, it was just, I think <laughs> it, what it was is we were at a place where, where it was just a bad place to be sick. You know, we were yeah, yeah. 30 miles from any road yeah. and we were back in this canyon with no running water, no electricity on, uh, on Dan's friends, uh, uh, ranch, well, not his his ranch, but some some one he worked some, on some some land that he took care of, and yeah, it's just a bad place to be sick. <laughs> yeah, you know? I think yeah. I saw that photo in a in the scoop of a tractor. Basically, they were giving yeah. you a ride because you couldn't ride your bike. Yeah, or? I gotta I gotta thank uh, Graham Goodfield for for getting me out of there. And the, that, guy, the guy, the guy that, was, that was, and the guy that, so he got you out of there on in a buggy, in a Wait. buggy, in a in an old. Uh, <laughs> Covered wagon, buckboard, style. Oh, okay. buckboard wagon, and then, with a, yeah. And then we were out on the road, and this guy named John Karam was yeah. the guy who oh, in the on forklift a, on a forklift, yeah. yeah. And he was a farm, he was a pistachio farmer in okay. uh, the Quayon Valley, yeah, yeah. One of the things I will say that, like, as far as the bike goes, that I thought was something I it was something I didn't expect, and it was kind of like one of the major things I took away from the trip was that people like I've only experienced it overseas when you go around and people are like hey where are you from what's going on and they're like hey we're having a barbecue come over yeah you're like well this is weird this doesn't happen they're enamored because you're an American yeah what I found is that it has nothing to do with being overseas okay when we were on bikes if you don't look like a complete bum which we did some (laughs) days but some days we didn't yeah you and you have your gear you have the food you need you're totally self-contained but you're on a a a pretty awesome mission and they can kind of tell what's going on that you're doing something fun people seem to totally just be drawn to it and they're Mm. like okay this person isn't asking for anything they're they're totally self-contained they can get to where they're going but you know like honestly it seems like people are drawn into it and we had i swear to god it seemed like every other day someone invited us to crash out at their place and stay for dinner and like and i've never had that in california Hmm. and it was happening it seemed like it was happening every day yeah and um so that was a really really fun takeaway to me and it was kind of what um i don't know that's kind of what i thought was amazing it was like we were in california seeing it like we'd never seen it before yeah, we really were, and they're like, I don't want to get too like well, romanticize the concept too much, but I'll tell you what, it was freaking weird. <laughs> yeah, people are, yeah. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free.
LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I I think listeners aren't all in Southern California, of course, so they Mm. don't understand how rude people are here. (laughs) Um, I did a family trip back to Tennessee in June, and it blew me away that people were so friendly southern hospitality totally yeah. they yeah. waved you you strangers driving the opposite direction yeah. on the road just wave to you oh yeah you walk in to get a coffee they say hello yes sir yes, people ma'am. Yeah. people don't understand in southern california you could walk into starbucks they just look up at you and wait for you to tell you their order you yeah, know? yeah like they the cashier doesn't say how are you can i help you yeah and um so that is surprising to me that you would get some of that we got off a the beaten path we got a ton of it yeah. and it was like the the the, the thing, I was trying to figure it out because it's really strange how many, not only like how many people are really hospitable and just um, just fun to be around, but just in general, how many, um, how often there would be a coincidence. That, <laughs> and I think which it led to like crazy nights and fun stories and like, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it just had to do with um, one being outside of the frame and being in a car like, oh. Hey, yeah, it is good to see you, but I, I'm going to go right now. Like mm-hmm. you're always, you, you had more time, but it just, you really create this space where you're like, well, we don't have to be anywhere tonight. Right. Like we really don't have to be anywhere. And like we told them we'd be there in two days or and we can call them and let them know that we're going to be, they know we're on a bike. Like you just create this space all of a sudden. Right. And, and, and you're like, well, we could either ride for three hours right now, or we can go over and have tea with this freaking weirdo guy who offered us some tea. Like, and, um, it's, it just changes the, I don't know. It just changed the, the, um, the dynamics so much right. and, and really made for a good time. Like I would recommend anybody going on a trip like this yeah. um, at home or, or close by or whatever. Um, in the piece you did recently on Esquire.com, you talked about farming and how people refer to it as a simpler way of life. And then you argued that farming is about as hard of a way of life as you could think of. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, like a, full-on farmer or anything like that i i just for me that's a 
something I'm really interested in. Um, we do, my wife and I do have a little farm that my, my good friend mostly does a lot of the organic oh, okay. farming and I, I take care of the orchard and my wife has goats and we have chickens and dogs and pigs and all that stuff. But, um, I don't, definitely don't call myself like a good farmer by any means i have a long long way to go but i just think that um you know being the steward of any land at all is super complex yeah and and people think it's you know it's the it's this like quaint old country thing but if you want to turn a profit or get by at all as as a farmer it's really difficult you know and and it's it's harder now than ever before because you just it's hard to the the cost of living is so high that you know the amount of money you can make off of your land isn't isn't enough right so you know there's the quaint simple farming where if you're filthy filthy rich and you can come home to a perfectly manicured farm you know uh you know for a few days every month that that's probably fun and simple but actually working the land and everything like that there's all there's never an end to what needs to be done and yeah um the people that are doing it well i respect more than anything in the world i i really have been um unbelievably just inspired by this crew of farmers um like i always you know i've been just realizing like if you start to find out who's growing your food and start to get to know those people you will never regret it because they're Hmm. the most colorful most interesting totally trippy but great people with a ton of insight and um since i kind of made that you know leap like since i started to pay more attention um it's really been a huge shift in my life i spent a lot of time with the people who who um grow most of our food um shoot i met my wife at the restaurant where where i i started going because i knew the food was coming directly from hmm. the farm wow and um so it's been a big shift for me and yeah. and i and i'm not even close i don't feel like that that little spark of inspiration is even close i uh, to being to being out i uh, i continue to this day to be really inspired by what's happening in small-scale agriculture and um I really, that's how I kind of view environmentally. That's where I think there's a ton of opportunity there. Um, and it's just fun. It's, yeah. yeah, it's a great way to, to spend our time. I think, um, we, you know, we all eat a few times a day. We're all yeah. pretty darn connected to farms, whether we want, we, we know it or not. You know? Sure. Um, <clears throat> a theme that continually comes up on this podcast, no matter who we're talking to, is just the business of surfing. Mm-hmm. And you kind of alluded to it a little bit about this trip starting off as just a, a privately funded project mm-hmm. and it turning into something else. Um, travel is expensive, obviously. And most surf trips, as we talked about, have a specific objective targeted with a swell. And we're going to promote this new board short line or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, this trip really seems like the antithesis of that. Mm-hmm. Patagonia's relationship in your life, are they pretty much just hands off and allow you to kind of dictate where you go, when you go? Or how does that relationship it, work? It really just depends. It's okay. kind of changing all the time. I've been uh, working for Patagonia for 10 years now. Okay. And um, they, it, it just depends on what's going on. Um, now definitely you know my role is still to surf a ton which is kind of unbelievable yeah <laughs> and i i really appreciate that and about 50 percent of it is that and about 50 percent of that is working on book and film projects okay um and 
it just really depends on what's going on. Um, yeah, I mean, it's for sure, uh, you know, Patagonia is a business that's doing really, really well, and there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. You know, there. Um, I wouldn't say it's just this hands-off thing. I spend a lot of time in there working with the designers and the R&D crew oh, okay. and the marketing crew and the, and the surf um, side of things. And, um, and there's a lot going on and it's not far from home and I enjoy the company there and everybody works really hard and there's all the ups and downs of business, you know, but I really, um, couldn't be more thankful for the group of people that end up working at Patagonia and, you know, really met some of my best friends there. And, um, but you know, it's like any business, there's good times and bad times and Mm -hmm. there's, there's, you know, times when things are simpler than others, but it's, it's been a really good run. So, um, when you're going on trips, let's say other than this trip, um, do they have a crew documenting it or how does it it work differently? It always changes. Um, sometimes they'll have somebody in mind to document it and it will come from Patagonia. Hey, we heard about this trip. Sure. Um, you want to go and we'll send this staff, you know, either Jeff Johnson or Tim Davis or something like that. Um, and then, uh, sometimes it'll be completely disconnected from Patagonia. I'll have heard about a trip or want to do a trip and I'll get in touch with them and say, Hey, this, this seems like a, a, you know, a worthy thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, how's the timing or whatever, you know, they, they have a lot of trust in us for sure. Yeah. I think that's, you know, part of the reason my brothers and I have been able to do what we've done is that, um, we know it's a two way street and you know, it's, it's, you know, working with people is working with people and it's communication and it's working hard and making sure that the projects you work on or, you know, if they're going to put time and energy and money into it, better work out for them too completely and i think we've always had a really solid understanding of that and like you know this isn't just like this random free ride it's like there's there they expect something and so if you can give them at least what they expect then there there's a probably a few more evenings where nobody's around and we're getting big stand-up barrels and nobody's even shooting in store for us so we don't mind sacrificing a little bit you know you know i i can look back at some of the stuff i've done and been like wow that wasn't just purely the surfing experience you know man i'm a little bit of a sellout but i also have you know still sneaking you know get to sneak in some sessions with nobody around that are the things that i cherish and i don't mind working hard yeah uh if we've agreed that that's what we're going to do and that's how we're going to do it and um and if that you know if that you know, allows me to go, go, go surfing, <laughs> you know, and do things the way I want to do it when I'm not, you know, working, then that's fine. Kind of related to the conversation of riding a bicycle or not pulling out the cameras on day one when you're on the farm. It seems like they've cultivated an environment where you can just enjoy the experience and be yourself so that when it comes time to deliver a product, whether it be an image or a video or whatever, it's a authentic product that you're delivering, you yeah. know, that seems like a very different method of uh, collecting content for them than yeah. it would be for one of the big five companies in Orange County or something. Yeah, I think I think so. That, but it's always a struggle because um, because when something works, it becomes an equation. Okay. For everybody. Sure. And so even at, even at Patagonia, it's like, wow, that worked perfect. Let's do it again. Right. You know, and so I think it's actually not that simple and that to 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 get interesting stuff, you always have to be pulling, you know, 
kind of switching things up and going, yeah. you know, like actually how do we make this like authentic get so, you know, thrown around. It's like, what does that even mean anymore? And y- you have to really be thinking about the trip and what it is or what's going on. And um, I-, I think it's always, it takes a lot of work to get to tell stories in a way that are actually feel like they're coming from a good place and seem like they're not just a waste of people time and not just like kind of silly marketing, you know? Yeah. And I think Patagonia has done a great job with that though. It feels everything that I've been exposed to from them feels authentic. Yeah. They have, they have had a really, and like unbelievable blueprint set for them by the early crew at Patagonia with, with, um, Chris Tompkins and Rick Ridgway and Yvonne and um, Jennifer Ridgway and these people that were really, I think, ahead of their times as far as like just realizing that like, look, people just want something that is um, that they can relate to that's real. Yeah. They don't care if the photograph is technically perfect. They just want to see something that they can, you know, laugh at or or connect with and um, so I think the more that we lean back on the heritage of what Patagonia is, the better off we are. Totally. There, there's some really great, great blueprints there. So that's that's the other thing I feel lucky to be able to cross paths with those people and work in the same kind of lineage of, of what they started. Right. Yeah, no, it seems like a great opportunity and a great fit. Yeah. I remember um, Yvonne talking about in his book just about the business surviving in spite of him. You know, just uh-huh. like his focus was so much on climbing that the business was hindering his climbing. And so he'd abandoned the business. But there was enough people around him who believed in that vision and that passion that he had that they supported him in that endeavor, propped him up, you know. And, yeah. and I think that is the the market responds to that, you know, and um, recognizes that authenticity. And I feel like a lot of the big surf brands started that way, probably. Mm-hmm but have grown too big for their britches and um, have kind of abandoned the original core group of surfers that once built their business. Yeah, And maybe I think that has to do with Kelly leaving Quicksilver in an, to yeah. an extent yeah. and starting that outer known brand. And I yeah. know Luke Egan just started Depactus is what he's yeah. calling it, mm-hmm. which are almost designed to compete with Patagonia. Yeah, you yeah. know, they're like outdoorsy type well, brands. What's interesting to me about that is it's exciting, first of all, and I, I, I so excited to see what Kelly and Luke are doing. Um, and what's classic too, though, is that they, you know, the whole, the way I see, the way I really see it is the, 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 the surf industry, it, the, the companies, actually, if you look at everything from energy drinks to a lot of the surf companies, they're marketing companies that make clothing. Right. Or they're a, a marketing company that makes a drink. Like, what's well, Red Bull. Fully. It's a marketing company. Fully, yeah. It's not a, it's not a drink company. Right. Um, and I think Patagonia has been able to retain its, um, its status as being a clothing company that also does marketing to let, you know, let people know that (laughs) the clothes are out this season. And, and, and there's a ton of strength in that because our marketing at times isn't great. I, I mean, I've seen it and it's not perfect. But, but the product actually continues to sell, even mm. when our marketing is not great. Whereas the other brands, if the marketing is not perfectly on point, it's just like, because you could switch all the stuff around. When it comes to the clothing, you could switch the logos around and you, couldn't, you can't tell the difference. You know? right. So it's really about marketing. So what will be interesting is, is that um, 
I can't wait to see what those guys are up to because they're way, way, way better at marketing than we are. Hmm. You know, they, that's what their whole entire, you know, world has been steeped in is marketing. So right. um, I know for a fact they're not going to put out a product that touches ours for a really long time. I give yeah. them like 15 years before they can do that. Because well, there's so many systems that you have to put into there, place. There are so many systems. Yeah. And that's that's the one thing I don't I don't know. It's hard to understand if you... I, you know, I said I've been at Patagonia for 10 years and I'm just starting to scratch the surface of how much time and energy has gone into making, um, you know, things like Ulex and things like the vest and all that stuff. Like it is ridiculous. And so I know I know that making those products is going to be really difficult, but the marketing part, I think they're going to nail it. Yeah, and I think that it's going to the gap that we saw in the market um, 10 years ago, which was basically that, you know, there's all these surfers that there's all there's so many surfers in the world that don't necessarily um, align with uh, the messaging that, that the, the big five surf brands are putting out. But they don't those people don't have a choice. That's right. all there is. And Patagonia has this amazing ethos and we can we can easily, you know, let them know that we're actually committed to surfing, too. And um, but now we're going to have a handful of brands that realize there's that huge gap and they realize there's this huge group of people that that aren't looking for like the really tech competitive side of surfing and that um are looking for something else and they're they're i bet you they're i bet you it's going to be really enticing and really fun and i'm excited about it um something you said right now about them speaking to a market that hasn't had a home really mm -hmm. other than patagonia and I think it relates to what we talked about with you growing up, which is just like these new these companies, Patagonia, represent a variety of sports other than just surfing. You know, it's like climbing and fishing and all these other things. And I think that you're right. There's so many people out there who do things other than just surf. Yeah. And so it's nice to have um, Mark Healy as a represent representative of yeah. your company, you yeah. know, or somebody like that. Yeah, Healy is the you cannot go wrong with that guy. Yeah. He's so so such a badass and and so personable and you know, you just want to know what he's up to. Yeah. Like it's amazing and he's good at relaying what 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 what, he, what he's been doing and so I but think it's a it, good call. It enriches your surfing experience though to have all those other things that you do in your life, yeah, you know. Absolutely. So, I think that um it'll be interesting to see kind of how the surf culture changes, I guess, with these brands in the marketplace. Yeah. where it's not just all surf all the time. Yeah, I know? think it'll be great. I think it'll push everybody and and totally. um, I'm I'm stoked that Kelly, you know, went for it, you know, mm -hmm. cuz it's just a lot of pressure and he, I, you know, he got a ton of support from Quicksilver. And even though you might not be support in support of how they do business, you know, there were people supporting you for a long time. Oh, you yeah. have all these great friends. So I know it took a lot for him to do that. And, um, and I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping, you know, I have high hopes for what, what they do, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm super curious, you know, I'm like, Oh, can't wait to see the first stuff, you know, yeah. see what it is, how it looks. Time will tell. Yeah. Um, let's talk about surf films. All right. <laughs> um, and Callan would be a good person to chime in on this conversation as well. Kind of the evolution of surf films, kind of documentary style films early on. Taylor Steele's 45 minute action flicks came about and now it's distilled down to just two minute rip clips basically on the web. Um, the medium has changed drastically. Callan, this is your project uh, as a filmmaker. 
what is your gauge on the current surf film market? What do you like about it? Is this intended to be any part of that at all? And do you have reference reverence for what whatever, exists? Whatever. I think, well, this is Dan. This is ours together, and I think Dan's got a lot more history in in the surf film world. So it's. Um, I, I to be honest, I don't I don't feel um, this was not an entry into the current state of surf. It's not films. No, I mean there's they're honestly like. I think there's probably a 15 waves in the whole thing mm -hmm. and not one would be considered a, uh, a even a B plus or yeah. I or not even a C, you know? Okay. So this was, I mean, this, this book was really inspired by, um, this book and film and, you know, we've called the films extra features from the get go extra features to the book, <laughs> you know, was really inspired that the, the feel of the book and all that was inspired by, um, this book, a couple of books, but this one um, by Margaret Kilgallen, this really awesome artist from San Francisco who was a sign painter, and she put out this beautiful book. And it was just this simple, it was like this amazing, simple experience to have the book and look through it. Hmm. And to me, it just kind of, it kind of, when I had it with me, it was like kind of time stood still, and I wanted to make something um, with these guys um, that was like that. Like you open it up, and it's just it was just a simple experience. So it really, um, I was, I always hope that the stuff I'm working on, rep, um, is enjoyed by surfers. Like I, I'm, you know, surf, yeah. sur I'm a surfer through and through. That's what I want. That's the only like group I really know. Yeah. But at the same time it was coming from, um, it, I didn't, I knew it wasn't going to mix in right with the rest of the stuff, but in the book itself, how much is it text? Uh, how much text is there in it? Is there a storyline or a narrative or how does it work? It's pretty much just um, the exact chronological order of the trip and how we went on it. And it's a short, you know, two or three pages on each person that we came in contact with, with captions. It's, it. it's kind of more of like an art book. There's, oh, there's, there's some excerpts from the interviews that we did. We did long interviews and what we, I'd put like three answers in there. I edited the hell out of them. And mm -hmm. I didn't want to over, overdo it with text. Um, it's a photo journal. It's a of. photo journal book with yeah. some, with some interviews. And cool. then, and then the, the video is just a compliment to the book. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what about surf films in general? Like how do you process them nowadays? And do you enjoy the current platform of just like these two minute i mean what are your guys thoughts on that yeah it's definitely fun to watch them you know but you definitely still miss those you know the original ones the, yeah the full length the dvd platform you know yeah you watch it on a screen or you know watch it on your tv but it's getting it's getting shorter and shorter and it makes it fun you get to see a bunch of rad stuff going on around the world but i still love the experience of you know sit down and watching a movie but do you do you sit down do you take the <laughs> yeah. time now to sit down and watch them yeah you do sure well i mean for what's out there you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i i haven't been lately because i don't i don't have a tv at our house but I, I mean we have computers so it's not like we're not watching screens all freaking day but but so i watch less surf films but i do really enjoy that experience and i feel like it you know that was how we learned how to surf was watching films yeah. mm -hmm. you know and one of the things I would I will say about it is that I like honestly it's so crazy kids will do the most amazing turn or trick or error or whatever and 
people remember it for about a week. Right. And I, I feel bad for the kids because well, when we were right. coming up, you would work on a whole section for a year. Yeah. And then it would come out and it was a huge deal for a year. Yeah. Like you'd have a whole year. If you if you if you kicked ass and really put something decent together, you had like a whole year and you were like you basically like if you were working on a Taylor Steele f- film, you had good sponsorships and all that stuff. Right. Now something will come out. I remember when um Oh God, I, I draw blanks, but they uh, those kids from the from Maui. Yeah, um, Matt, Matt Mayola, Albie Layer. Yeah, and Albie when Albie did that freaking double alley oop, mm-hmm. and I mean it was a big deal. Like people did hear yeah. about it, but like to me, I was like, oh my God, and and it just seemed like it it happened and then kind of passed by and completely. And I was like, oh my God, was, yeah, perfect example on the the train ride <laughs> down here. Me and Dan are, you know, we're in and out of in- internet service on on the way down, and he shows me this clip uh, of Koa of, Smith, of Koa Smith getting a minute long barrel in Namibia. Have you, you know, seen that? Longest, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Longest yeah. tube I think and I've ever seen on film, and it was gnarly. And, and it hasn't really stuck with me, you know. Like I, ha- you know, but yeah. it's just another. Yeah. But it's you know it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. But totally. Yeah, it's not. It's. It's just such know, a different you know, experience. Like, it is. Not, like if yeah. that was in a hard to explain but yeah so that was in a different on the fl- goes. on the flip side of what dan's talking about i was watching those taylor Steele movies uh-huh. when they came out and i can tell you or i probably maybe not anymore but i could tell you at the time anyways what song each surfer had right. and what turn they were doing to that drum beat in that part of a song like if i Me listen too. to that song Me later too. on my walk man That's i could be like your mind. yeah oh yeah. this is when kelly did that turn at j bay to unwritten law and good times you yeah. know what i mean yeah yeah superman was the song yeah, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. and so i watched that a thousand times now i'll watch a clip once and move on and i like john john's movie that he made done i think is what it was a year or two ago uh-huh. i paid for it online it's still on my computer i think i've watched it twice yeah you know yeah it was by all measures a better film than any of taylor Steele's in terms of the surfing and whatever but i just i watched it twice and yeah. i moved on with my life yeah, it's yeah. like i don't know if the the medium has changed so much that i'm less engaged or if i've changed so much that my attention span is shorter yeah. you know I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, but. no, it's changed. That's for sure. You know, before it was almost like you got the film. It was like almost more of a there was more of a community experience happening because there yes. weren't that many. And when one was good, everybody knew it and everybody right. took it home. And you knew it was like everybody was sort of experiencing it kind of the same time, more or less. And um, it was, you know, like when Momentum 2 came out, it was like this is the the best of performance surfing right. and everybody that was the word and so you had to see it now it's just like little snippets and yeah you know i can't really say you know it's not a good or a bad thing it's just how it is and um and it's yeah it's changed a lot and a lot of times when i'm you know like i said we don't have a tv at our house right now and then on, when i'm on the computer i'm usually just trying to get done and get off of it sure so i'm not really sitting down to s- like settle in and watch a film right it doesn't happen that much so i'm, I'm kind of like oh i'm gonna do a couple of emails and try to get like this ridiculous list of things that it seems is just normal these days with all these devices i'm like I'll try to whittle away at it but i'm not like oh i'm gonna sit here for 20 minutes right and relax you well, know or 45 minutes that's kind of you know. that's what we were talking about with the podcast thing too where it's like 
I will watch surf videos, but I'm usually distracted by my phone and other things. Whereas the podcast platform, there's no distraction because you're driving, you know, yeah, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's pretty, interesting. Pretty too. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, just kind of a side note, who are Emmett and Brendan Malloy talking about surf films or films yeah. in general? Are they cousins? They're my cousins. Cousins. Yeah. And they they um, live down in Los Angeles and work on um, films down there. Okay. And, you know, mostly mostly music films and commercials and stuff like that. Yeah, I've liked their work. Yeah. Like they, I went and saw, saw the screening of Big Easy Express uh-huh. a year or two ago mm-hmm. when that was in, they did it in Santa Monica or mm-hmm. something. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, um, they do neat stuff. And I know they're referred to as the Malloy brothers too. And I'm like, what? That's not the Malloy brothers. That's not, you know, but um, cool. So are you involved with them at all in projects um, or just time, periodically? From time to time, we'll work together. Um, Chris and Emmett have worked together the most. Chris and Emmett and Jack did Thicker Than Water together. Right. So that was, there's definitely a connection there. And um, yeah, so we, we've worked together. Uh, and I think we'll continue to, you know, when, when projects sure. come up that it makes sense to, um, you know, just another thought about the video clip stuff. It's like, while that Koa Smith barrel probably has had a couple hundred thousand views on it by this point, what you guys are doing with this project and showcasing it at Hobie surf shop and various places along California coast isn't going to reach a hundred thousand people, but you're going to reach a thousand or a couple thousand core people who are influenced and touched and do remember it. And they come up and get the book signed after the fact. And I feel like that thousand people with a strong thumbprint and impression on them really almost has more value uh, than the hundred thousand who forget about Koa Slip's smith's clip yeah. as soon as john john releases another one next week you know yeah what I mean? yeah i i definitely think about that and i think that um that whole thing with you know however many hits and all that stuff yeah I, like i was talking about things that are unsettling earlier and that mm-hmm. to me it's like what does that stuff mean i don't know and if it's fleeting it's a, it's a little bit i i do know what it means a little bit more when you go do an event and you know, a hundred people show up and are excited to sit there, and everybody watches a film together and talk right. story afterwards. That I do kind of have an idea of what that feels like and means. You feel it, it's like something you feel. You know, like yeah, you feel it. You're there. You feel it. It's a yeah. It's feel good. And so yeah. I've I've strayed away from a little bit of the. Um, it's it's funny. Like when I think about working on projects, it's about it's still about print. Is it? Yeah it's weird like Mm. i don't i i um this project because we had just such a neat little gathering of stuff i i I said hey surfline if you want to do a thing you can first time i've ever ever reached out to them and been like hey we did a trip and here's the stuff Mm -hmm. and um and don't have instagram and just haven't really dove into that thing because it's I just don't understand it as well. I just, I grew up in print and it still makes sense to me. I still love it. And, and, um, I still love the idea of going to, you know, a little premiere or a book signing and hearing somebody talk. And, um, you know, I try not to be too nostalgic. I get a ton of my information from the internet for sure, but I still love that side. And I think there's a a little part of it. that's becoming even more relevant because it's not normal. 
Yep. And so like the Surfer's Journal, I think, is just as relevant as it's ever been right now mm-hmm. because they're, they've really even more so secured their spot. It's not news. Mm-hmm. It's a it's much more of an experience. And and um, I love the idea of of, you know, of having something that you can't just get anywhere, right. you know, and uh, telling a story that not just anybody can tell. Right. Like that's what I think the opportunity we all have you know, because we've all had such different lives and that's what, that's what, you know, I think like, hey, what can we do that only we can do? Right. And, and what, how can we do it in a way that's interesting to people and they'll, they'll have fun with it and we can start a dialogue between us mm. and we can basically, like this trip was an excuse to go hang out with all these people that I'd been dying to hang out with, but yeah. hadn't really, hadn't really pulled that off. And in, because of the project, I've met all these other people that are, that are, you know, have similar thoughts and beliefs and it's opened up a lot of other doors. And so there's a really neat cycle that can happen there when you get into, into the groove of, of where, where, you know, in the world that you like to work in. Yeah. It's what you just said touches a lot of, uh, points that we kind of already went over, but are worth cycling back to, I think like that Instagram, uh, mentality that people live with now or just being on the phone all the time it is looking at the world through a viewfinder you know and like you said it's trampling kind of on the experience of life and so I think it's good for you to not fully partake in it and just kind of try to live life first and then maybe let's go back and capture it and then showcase some of the the experiences yeah, yeah for sure and I, the other thing that, that probably the main reason is that i'm not on instagram is because if i was i would be on it all day long totally because <laughs> it's so fun um, but uh but yeah another thing that that reminded me of though was <laughs> uh and the surfer's journal was i interviewed steve pesman for the podcast and he was talking about an interview he did back in the day with timothy leary uh for surfer magazine when he was at surfer and about leary's theory was that surfers are the most enlightened life forms that there are because everything all energy is transferred through waves and surfers has have identified a way to actually ride the wave so an actual an actual wave that you can yeah while everybody else is just kind of always in front of the moment or behind the moment surfers have made a life out of living in the moment and traveling with the moment yeah and that's a more enlightened way of being, you know, that's, that's something. I, so I, I fully appreciate that. And Steve Pesman's like, oh my God, I don't know what we'd do without him and, and, and his wife and just the journal in general. It's like, God, they breathe life into, into surfing and the history of surfing and, and make it a more pleasurable experience, I swear. Um, but whenever I've also had this little gripe with, with, um, with people thinking that surfers are more enlightened because because you look at a lot of the old timers and I'm not talking about the ones that we get to read about because obviously they've like you know you look at Jerry Lopez and the guy's just he guy freaking is enlightened it's crazy he's amazing but you look at some of the old timers in town or some of the guys that have really stuck to their one spot and they're honestly some of the most bitter people I've ever met in my life so what I, you know, and I, so I think that I was really always impressed by that statement that Timmy Le- Leary, you know, yeah. said, and I, I think that he was obviously 
very onto some shit. Yeah. <laughs> and very, very had some great um, things to offer. But I also feel like a lot of people have taken the only the surfer know that knows the feeling thing too far. Yeah. And have have kind of gone, you know, I'm a surfer, so I'm basically better than other people. And it hasn't really got them to a more grounded, more enlightened state, you know. Yeah. And so that's I, I've just thought about that a lot because from surfing from time to time, surfing in general makes me happy mm-hmm. to go do it. It doesn't make me a, a perfect person or, and it hasn't figured out all my problems. Like yeah. I, I definitely, you know, and so it's just one of the great tools and one of the great things we get to do. Super lucky, um, you know, thing that we get to that we get to have fun with and i think when we start to let it get out of that perspective and, and become oh my god you it's go? all right you could take it if you need to no okay um when we start to let that perspective go that you know how fortunate we are to get to do it not that we're special that we get to do it but that we're really fortunate to get to do it. i think we lose that and i think that a lot of surfers do honestly i yeah, feel like sure. a lot of surfers think they're a little bit you know, got it figured out. And, um, over time I, I've just watched a lot of surfers get a little bit more as surfing changes, as the water gets more crowded, as all these things change, they get a little bit more and more bitter. And I'm like, you know, surfing's not the answer. You got to still stay really creative and figure out ways to enjoy it. I mean, that's, you know, half the reason why I ride boards with no fins and body surf half the time is because, yeah. I can feel myself starting to get a little bitter about the changes sometimes. And I'll be like, screw it. The moment I feel that I'm going to try to go do something else. Cause the only reason why we should be out here is to have a good time and, and hang out and you know, whatever. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And I think that goes back to just having other interests in life and not being all about surfing and let that being the only thing that fulfills you. I know Yvonne was talking about, um, or kind of talks about, climbing just being a useless thing you know and it's like yeah this is useless and i'm not i do it because it is therapy for me and it helps me to enjoy my wife or my time at home with the kids or these other things in my life but climbing isn't the thing it's not all about climbing you know yeah it was rad he says he says um we put all this time and energy and we get to the top and you get up there and there's nothing there (laughs) and he's like so you better start learning how to enjoy the process yeah and i've definitely you know I've, you know, I've, I've, uh, you know, been on trips where you get the, you get the best barrels you've ever got in your life. You, you know, have an amazing time. You come home and you're still just, you know, I, I come home and I'm still trying to figure things out. You know, I don't have it all figured out because I got a big stand up barrel and no, you know, it was a great time and I don't, I don't, I'm not bummed that I was there, but it doesn't, it does, you're not enlightened after that. Right. And, um, you know, and I saw that a lot too, when I was on the tour, and got to travel with Kern and Aki, I thought they would be just these crazy freaking yogi dudes that were like just stoked cruising around. And I saw more strife in their, you know, eyes and what they did than almost anybody else I saw. And it, it, it was part of my experience that led me to be like, wow, maybe, you know, maybe this isn't the most important thing in the world. You sure. know, they've, Kern, you know, my favorite surfer of all time, and Aki too, you know, world titles everything you could want you know and and you know they're just still people yeah and so maybe maybe winning a world title is not gonna fix everything you right. know like i thought it was so um yeah i have a couple closing thoughts and questions 
Uh, number one, are you watching the Chopu contest right now? I watched a couple clips the day before yesterday, and it was super fun to watch. When when a contest is on, are you rearranging your day to watch it online? Or, I mean, how involved are you with competitive surfing? I'm not involved, but not. I, I really enjoy it now. I think that the changes in format and everything and being able to watch it online. Two waves. Oh, my God. I wish I could have surfed a heat with two waves. Yeah. Um, all that type of stuff is a huge deal. Um, but I, I watch probably two contests a year and, um, when they're on, I enjoy every last bit of it. A lot of times I just didn't know they were on or, or, um, like I don't check the surf media every day when, when I do and a contest is on and the waves are good. I'm totally like anybody else. I'm like, holy shit, like totally throwing everything aside and really having a hard time focusing on anything else like in the chopuku contest is as good as it gets totally and it's crazy because it's like a reunion it's like watching all my friends all the new surfers i don't know but like all the guys you know announcing and yeah a lot of the older crew i do know and it's really fun to see them all and see what they're up to and shoot the chopu contest is on i'm like yeah i wish i was there you know that would be really fun it's hard to it's hard to not want to be there did you see Curran and aki's heritage series heat at j bay this year no i i saw some footage of Curran, but i don't know if it was that yeah it probably was yeah um they ran a heat there who won Current. No way. Smoked him, dude. Combo. Wow. Current wow. got a 10. You got <laughs> to see this thing, rad. dude. It's it's legit. Oh, my He God. gets like a barrel and claims it hard. Yeah. Like, <laughs> comes out of the, like, while he's coming out of the barrel, sticks his left hand, like, out first. <laughs> so you just see his hand waving to the beach. And it's a classic claim, too. It's not like, like yeah. pulling his arms down just a he, weird current just claim. waving at the beach like a princess or something <laughs> it's so rad current's amazing yeah aki surfed good but yeah Kern got a 10 so oh boy um you got to go back and watch that though yeah for sure um uh i remember seeing footage of you surfing like toto santos and some other big wave spots back in the day any interest in big wave surfing nowadays yeah i i have a little bug that definitely keeps me up at night sometimes. I, I, you know what I, I realized over time is that I usually surf, um, wherever I am. Okay. And if the waves are big, I go surfing there. Chasing big swells does my head in. Like, oh, okay. It's really hard for me to get enough sleep for the three or four days before I'm stressing and nervous and all that stuff. But if I can settle in in a place and, um, and you know I go to Hawaii every year still. And it, when it's big there, I really enjoy being out in the water. I really enjoy being around the crew that's that's doing that. Um, there's definitely an entirely new level. Yeah. You know, that I am not even close to. Like, this year when I was on Oahu, Jaws was going to be really good. And I specifically was like, I'm not going over there. I think there's like an older school of, of thought and surfing. And, and, and um, I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Shane Dorian and... Um, I know that he surfs out every, almost every time it gets good, and I feel like there's a certain amount of like training and and um, time and energy that would need to go in for me to go to a place like that. And totally. I, knowing Shane, I didn't want to show up with Shane there and be like, "Hey, dude, I'm here too. I'm trying to get the shot," you know? Right. Like, and that's what a big part of the crew is going over there. And um, so that that's not really something i i don't think i'll ever surf jaws again i surfed it once and um towed it a long time ago got an invite to go over there but i don't think i'll ever go over there in the way that it is now it's amazing though and it's big wave surfing 
another thing I feel bad for the kids now. Big wave surfing when we were around wasn't even recognized by the companies, mm-hmm. you know, and most of the big wave surfing that we did, there was no cameras around and there was like, you know, the outer reefs were like a handful of people. And I, I barely got to sneak into a couple, like I, I got the very tail, tail end of that era. And, you know, I got a handful of sessions that were just amazing, but, um, it's changed a lot too. And if you want to be a big wave surfer now, you got to go get barreled at Jaws. I'm like, right. I feel sorry for you guys. That's so gnarly. You know? It is, but it's also a lot more safety precautions in place too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, it is mind blowing to me that more people don't die. Yeah. Um, what are Chris and Keith up to? They're raising families. Okay. Up up north, um, making films and raising families. You know? Nice. Um, yeah, they're both living up, you know, up north and surfing quite a bit, and you know, still working on film projects and book projects. And Chris has got two little ones. Keith's got a second one on the way, and um, still hit the road when a trip that's enticing enough comes around. Yeah. And, yeah, still feel like I see. Busy. I feel like I see their names behind the camera, you know, more than in front of. Yeah, I think nowadays. we all kind of enjoy yeah. that a little bit more these days, you know. Yeah. Um. Are what's your current travel schedule look like? I mean, how frequently are you on the road nowadays? I'm on the road right right now. I'm I'm going to the Aleutian Islands. Oh, um, really? Yeah, on September second for two, two and a half weeks on a boat. Who's on that? A, on a, it's with Doc Renneker. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, it's an it's a commercial fishing boat called the Milo, and um, so we're heading up that way. And after that, I'll be in Hawaii uh, a couple different times this winter, and then I'll be as home home as much as I can. Like I said, we we have a place where there's plenty of work to get done. Sure. I I, I need to spend a lot of time there this winter too. So. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Are there any surfing stories? I know you have a pretty fond reverence for kind of history and surf history. Are there any surf stories that you'd like to hear told, whether it's video format or book oh that hasn't gosh. been told yet or, um, or written yet? Well, let's see if I can think of... Um, well, one that always stands out to me is, um, you know, Todd Chesser's story hmm. is a really great story, but I also... Um, you know, I think it could be an unbelievable film and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like you don't want to desecrate something that's so perfect, you know. Totally. So, I mean, it's an amazing story, but I don't in part of me doesn't care if it ever gets told because it's pretty perfect in my mind how it is. Um, but, you know, as far as serving history goes, and I'm trying to think like I'm, I do this when I'm trying to think of names, but um there are so many people that were instrumental in, 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 you know, making surfing what it is today and they're getting older and they're in that older generation. You know, we just had Donald Takayama pass away and there's, there's so many people from his age older that there, there's so much history there to be learned by our generation. And I feel like we spend a lot of our time just like, you know, seeing kid do a new rotation or this different thing which is super fun but there's like all this stuff that will never like i was saying before getting these stories that can't be told by anybody else there's a lot of people that have those right now right um like i said i'm i'm drawing a blank yeah um but you know uh i think there's i think it's really interesting to look into the places close to home and find the old surfers nearby that 
have been around forever and get those neat old stories. So there's not any specific ones coming to mind right now, but there are there are a million out there. For sure there are. And um, I like those. I, I do like the, the stories of, of how, how surfing came around to be how it is today. Yeah. Um, final question for everybody interviewed. Mm. What's the last board that you rode? Um, let's see. Let's see. A couple days ago um well i did the the body surfing world championships at uh at uh, oceanside last weekend i didn't even know that happened yeah Yeah. oh man yeah lost in the semis um it's not it's not why is it in oceanside i don't know it's not really the like it's not the it's it's called the body surfing world championships but it's not it's a super fun event amazing gathering it's my first time doing it but it's really about the gathering um but it's not like you know um mike stewart's there and yeah and a bunch of the crew that are like the best of all time right. there's a bunch of great body surfers there but so that's the last thing i did um before that was just um shoot i think it was this finless kind of plank piece of shit that i have it's not a very good board but i just went out to get a couple ways to kind of blow some steam off nice emma wood <laughs> Finless, do you know who made it or uh it was originally a Greg Little and then I then I um cut it up like Derek Hine style. Nice. Yeah. Um I watched in preparation for this that uh I think the Surfers Journal maybe produced it that board swap with Dane Reynolds. Mm-hmm. I think was that board in there? I remember No, you... it was before I made this one after, but okay. we had a bunch of funky boards. Well, you pointed great. out a board made by Greg Little in that yeah. thing, so yeah. I didn't know if that was the same board or Oh, not. it might be the same board before I chopped it up. Oh, okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you wrote it or not, but you pointed yeah. out. Yeah, those boards clever. are hard to ride, and they're they're um, they're very specific, and to be honest, I only there's a very few times I will ride them. There are a lot of people are really into them, and I, it's a little confusing to me because... They're they're only good for certain very super specific waves in my opinion, and I see people riding them at beach breaks and stuff like that, and I'm like, man, it's just hard to yeah. do. They're so hard to ride. Yeah. yeah. So well, if you ever get on Instagram, um, Derek Hines' Instagram is pretty rad. Is it? Totally. No way. He posts the sickest photos. What's it called? Uh, Farfield Traction or something, or Far <laughs> From Traction. Far From Traction. Something, something like that. Yeah, that makes me want to get Free on Instagram. Form, yeah. I'll, I'll show it to you. All right, right on. Thank All you. All right, thanks. Yeah. All right, appreciate thank it. You, thank you, thank you, Dan and Kellen's new book and DVD combo is available through Patagonia Books. You can find a link to it on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Also, make sure to come by the website to see tons of video footage that I was able to find of Dan Malloy ripping over the past few years. And uh, really interesting stuff. Finless surfing, traditional surfing, a little bit of everything. Definitely worth watching. And the book, I highly recommend picking up as well. Really enjoyable. Um, Thank you, Dan, for joining us on the show. We really appreciate it. Kellen, it was great to meet you as well. 
And if you're new to Surf Splendor, all past episodes are archived for free on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. If you listen in iTunes or Stitcher, everything's available there as well. Um, If you do listen in one of those platforms, just make sure to rate and review the show. That helps with our show's ranking, and it helps for other people to find the show. So make sure you do that, and then follow us on social media, at Surf Splendor. It's a great way to share the show with friends, and also to see a lot of the ancillary content that accompanies each episode in the form of video and photos and all that sort of stuff. If you enjoy the music of Surf Splendor, we've dedicated a page on our website to house all the songs from every episode, and there's even a Spotify player embedded on the site, so you can just go and click play and listen through all the music from every episode. So enjoy that. And lastly, if you enjoy Surf Splendor and you'd like to see the show grow, the way that you can invest in the show's future is simply to share it with a friend. You are our only form of advertising. So make sure to spread the word and we will continue getting A-list guests like Dan and Kellen. So thank you for doing that. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Kellen. And uh, really enjoyed my time with you guys. And I appreciate you just taking a lot of time and giving thoughtful responses to all of my probing questions. So until next week, this is David Scales signing off for Surf Splendor and saying ciao.